And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 239 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How's it going, Brian? It's uh, going okay. My house is still a disaster, so I'm kind of stressed about that. You know, it happens. It does, but, you know, I'm I'm, I'm ready to have some time to finish it. I don't know when that's going to be yet. Yep. Fair. Fair. Uh, I don't know. It was a quiet week here. I cooked a bunch. The end. Yeah, I had my my nephew was in town with my parents, and so I I got to see him a little bit. That was fun. I did a little bit of online Black Friday shopping, which is to say, last week I think two weeks ago, as this episode comes out, I had started rewatching the X Men animated series just ah. as something to have on in the background, and that led me to think, you know, I should finally watch X Men Apocalypse. Because it seemed like a good a good reason to watch that. Like, I love that show. Production value, though, is not the highest. So, like, it sets, I think, an achievable, realistic bar, um, which that movie just kind of lazily limboed under, neither here nor there. Um, but that led me to say, okay, now I should watch Dark Phoenix and be caught up so that I can watch New Mutants, which is available to purchase digitally now. Ah, okay. I, mean, um, I don't think I knew that. That's, that's interesting. I wondered if you knew or not, and that's why I mentioned it in this moment, because I realized you might not. I did not. Uh, it was announced without any fanfare. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, movie movies are, uh, they're, who knows what's going on or what their future is. Yeah. That's just been nuts. But uh, all that is to say, Friday night, I, I decided I'll finally watch Dark Phoenix. And then realized it wasn't on Disney+. Plus. And I don't own a copy of it, but it was Black Friday, so let me see if it's on sale anywhere. And it was, in fact, on sale for $4 on Blu-ray at Best Buy, so I bought it and 10 other Blu-rays uh, for, like, <laughs> 70 bucks. It was fantastic. I always forget how good Best Buy's Blu-ray sales are on Black Friday. This episode not brought to you by Best Buy. And that sale is <laughs> probably over. That wasn't going anywhere else. But hey, I'm excited for New Mutants. Yeah. Anyway, comics. Let's talk about those. Let's do that. That's 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 what we should do on this podcast. I yeah. feel like the awkward segue into talking about comics has become a staple lately. The my just shouting, hey, hey comics. <laughs> oh right, those things. Um I read a couple of those this week. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. I am going to start off with one that is not out yet, though. Uh, I managed to get my hands on a preview copy of The Picture of Everything Else, which is an upcoming vault series written by Dan Waters, drawn by Kishore Mohan, 
and lettered by Aditya Bidikar. Uh, this is something we talked about in solicitations a couple of months ago. It is about a wave of murders in early 20th century uh, Paris, and the discovery that all of these murder murders appear to have been caused by Dorian Gray-style paintings that were drawn of them and then uh, ripped up or set on fire or whatever. Uh, and all of these corpses that were found were found dead in the same ways that their portraits had been destroyed. Oh, very cool. Yes, I, I was super excited for this. I really loved this premise. I've always felt like the picture of Dorian Gray is, and I say this never having read it, but like the premise of it is so rife for telling weird horror stories with. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. this book is so that. The the art in it is absolutely gorgeous. It is, it's got this this like watercolor vibe. Uh, I think it actually is watercolors, in fact. Uh, and it basically is following these two, like, would-be high society artist types who, like, go to parties and then steal things and paint. And one of them, uh, uh, they end up discovering, like, a bunch of portraits of victims and getting pulled into everything that is going on. Uh, I know I've talked a bunch about how much I love Dan Waters' writing. Uh, this is something I've been really excited for, and if you are listening today, Monday, the 30th of November, as the episode comes out, it's the last day to for comic shops to order and be guaranteed copies. So if you are into uh, very pretty, very grisly Victorian murder horror stories, you should let your comic shop know that you at least want to try this first issue. I think if you read the first issue, you will be hooked for the whole series. Yeah, yeah. I I had intended to read our preview copy of it too, but just didn't get a chance to before. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. We will talk about it more at length when it is out, but there's yeah. the... Nothing I have said is is anything that's not in the solicitation text right 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 uh except how absolutely freaking gorgeous it is um also aditya bidikar is one of those letters who like if you see his name on something it's probably going to be good he has been on a bunch of really solid stuff lately that is a very fair statement yes and he's very good at what he does moving on to stuff that came out this past week Dark Knights, Death Metal, the multiverse who laughs. Yeah, this is this is another one of those one shots in the uh in the you know, the Dark Knights Death Metal uh umbrella here. Uh this is uh this was a kind of a fun one. This was a little bit of an anthology book. Um these are tales told by the Robin King and it's pretty much exactly what we I think we mentioned it may have been last episode, maybe even two ago, I don't remember, about the the Batman who laughs right with his godlike powers, basically recreating like the fifth, you know, the fifty two Earths mm -hmm. that are all versions of you know the Batman who laughs or the some the Wonder Woman who laughs or the Superman, like these different characters who are kind of him or versions of him, and these are kind of uh, stories that take place. I, I mean, the way I read it, on these other Earths. Yeah, I think these are yeah. absolutely on those Earths. And one of the things I think that sets this book apart from some of the others is 
These are definitely nightmarish Earths. Oh, absolutely. But we do not necessarily see a lot of the Batman version of blank all over these Earths. That is correct. Yeah, no, yeah. you are right. You are right. These are more like uh, these are more like just dark multiverse Earths. I yeah. Think. Um, the, the one that is probably my favorite, and it's just combination of, it's a character I love and a writer I love. Uh, do you want to guess, Brian, what I'm going to say? Oh, I think you're absolutely going to say, uh, Feeding the Beast. The, the Green Arrow one? No. Oh. I was oh, going to yeah, say the uh, Green Arrow one by Saladin Ahmed. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Um... See, feeding the beast. Uh, I, Which one I, was that? I, 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 that's that is the one I I looked at. I, I like misread the one that I intended. Yeah, because I was like Saladin, but I, yeah, I had it in my head wrong. Which okay. One it was. Um, Ahmed tweeted a little while back about how yeah, if you ever see a, a five page story about a grizzled older superhero who believes what kids say and defends them, that was probably me. Because he's written, like, a couple of DC backup stories. I think he did a Batman one recently, too, that was, like, the premise of, yes, real superheroes will believe the children. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of these that are really, really good. Uh, the, the, I mean, there's the Super Pets one, right? Yeah, that one was sad, but fun. Sad, but, and, and so, uh, the art in it is so pretty. Yes, that was Chad Harden on art. Yeah. Uh yep it was yes it was uh and amanda connor wrote it um, yeah it was it was it was very sad i like so one of the things that was absolutely hilarious in this one yeah is all of the animals when they speak they all get their own shaped word balloons yes so like crypto when crypto speaks he has the superman shield shape right mm -hmm. um when <laughs> when Beppo speaks. It's in the shape of a banana. <laughs> yes. Uh um oh god, what's Bat Cow gets a cowbell. Cow Bat Cow gets a cowbell, yes. I'm like, good lord. Come on. Apparently, not the cure to this particular fever. More cow. No, apparently not. Um yeah, like I said, that one was that one was fun but sad. The Saladin I Men one is definitely uh definitely good stuff. Yeah. The one that surprised me the most was the Steel uh John Paul Valley. Yeah. That was uh, I would not have put those two together. That was an interesting uh take. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's one other that we haven't mentioned yet, maybe. The Zaz one. That's right. Which yeah. was Patton Oswalt and uh Sanford Green who I always love. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a that was kind of a uh, a very odd Arkham story. It was like this weird earth where Gottlieb Arkham uh is turning villains into like cyborg monsters or just monsters in general? Yeah. Yeah, think think Hugo Strange-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that character, the character Gottlieb, is very like it totally made sense for Patton Oswalt to be writing it. Yes, yeah, loved it. The Flash number seven sixty six. So I just wanted to mention this briefly because this is the end of uh, I believe it's called "With This Ring," is the uh, is the title of the the arc, uh, and 
um this was a kind of a kind of a epilogue to um to the to the big run that we had and kind of bridging what was going on with what's going to come up in endless winter so it kind of marks an like a like a little extra like postlude think of it like an end credit scene right gotcha uh and so it's a little a little arc with uh, him fighting dr alchemy which is it was you know it was a very good standard kind of flash arc um but it does a couple of things that that set things up for potential things that are going to happen in the future without um without actually doing them like barry ends up having this conversation with a jeweler because he's just out in front of the jewelry shop about you know getting rings mm-hmm. so and there's a lot of talk about iris in it so you know there's the potential that that's going to happen at some point again and well clearly dc's marriage moratorium has ended if we oh yeah if we yeah, learned yeah. anything from aquaman it's it's exactly that. um but yeah and then so because the next thing that's going to happen is going to be endless winter. Mm -hmm. And then we don't know exactly. I don't even know if I know who the creative team is going to be or what's going to happen with flash after that. Yeah. We don't know. That's one of several books that that's kind of the case for. Yeah. We don't know a lot about, I'd say in general, we don't know a lot about what's happening in DC after endless winter and future state. Future state, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Because it's really after future state that yeah. we don't know. Like we yeah. know, we know who is writing Batman, and we yeah. know who is writing Catwoman. Yep. And I think we can maybe presume Mario Kotamaki stays on Wonder Woman because that would not surprise me. Yeah. Announcing her taking, like her taking over, was a big announcement for DC, and yeah. We'll still we're still gooding Wonder Woman this week, but like I think it's it's coming to a pretty strong like the story they've been telling is over place. Yes, but I don't think. But there's there's a lot of threads that are still there, right? I don't think it's going to end entirely, right? Um, yeah, this like I said, this felt more like a if not a stopping point, then like the end of the act before an intermission well but like superman action flash justice league justice league dark uh all these big tent post books we don't know aquaman we don't know who the creative team will be we know in some cases the creative team is leaving right we don't know who the creative team will be we don't know what the stories will be like there's a lot i think in the air exactly and so i kind of wanted to use this as uh, this issue of Flash as a way to uh, to kind of bring up and have that dis- this discussion. Yeah. Well, yeah. similarly, Justice League Dark number twenty eight uh, yeah. came out this week, and this is wrapping up the the whole story that's run since this book started after No Justice. Uh, everything that has happened in this book so far, kind of finds its natural conclusion. Uh, there are a couple of ideas that they could continue to explore. And I am hopeful with Rom V writing the future state issues that they will, that, that Rom V and this team will continue on this book. Uh, But this is basically the final confrontation with the upside down man. Um, And it's very much, this is this whole run, I think has kind of centered around Zatanna and wonder woman. 
Yeah. And this issue in particular feels like a big moment for Zatanna as a character. Um, I'm curious to see, like, this is part of one of the reasons I want to see Rom V and company stay on. This is like, I want to see what they do next. Uh, yes. With, with Zatanna. Which I know I saw a character designed for her in Future State. So, yes. Yeah. Well, and there is a Justice League Dark story in Future State, and he is writing it. Yep. Uh, this book is also just, I mean, consistently, this has been, I think, one of the most gorgeous books DC puts out. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think it's been vastly underrated, personally. Amense Nawapan and Jun Chung are the art team on yep. this book, and, like, it is so vibrant. There is so much light and expression, and in this issue, and in many others, but, like, in this issue, there are some just, like, really stunning, almost splash pages. Like, we get kind of a sequence of sort of where everyone is now that's a lot of, like, the top two-thirds of the page are a big splash panel, and then we get some, like, like a trio of panels at the bottom of the page, just showing a little bit more. Like, we get, so we get, for example, a page of Man-Bat kind of in mourning over having played a role in, maybe, the destruction of Swamp Thing. Uh, but then we see, like, three small panels of him and his lab Realizing, hey, there's still something of Alec Holland, of Swamp Thing, in this new thing that is born out of what they do. Uh, there's a really nice sequence with Zatanna and Zatara and Constantine. Uh, and then this it sort of ends on Wonder Woman and Zatanna coming together and finally feeling like they have a moment to breathe. And then we get sort of a one-page tease of Endless Winter with this shadowy figure who turns into a bunch of crows and flies away okay um which i'm sure hooks into the justice league dark issue of endless winter endless winter but it's it's the same thing here too right like this this feels like the end of of an era yeah uh i think we we've said that a bunch and we're gonna keep saying that to the point that this is clearly something intentional and what line wise oh yeah yeah well and i mean you, you gotta remember we've got and we've got at least one this week where some of some of these series are actually ending yeah yeah so um let's actually let's go ahead and talk about that series now suicide squad Suicide Squad, yeah. So this is the last issue of Suicide Squad. I cannot um, tell you how happy the first scene of this book made me. Like which one? Oh, Jog, Jog. Yes. Like everything about I, 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 I had no, re no sane person had any reason to expect what happened. Nope. But it felt so perfect and made so much sense. Well, and and like how he has his powers makes perfect sense now. Right. Like, like uh, this came completely out of left field for me. But it's the kind of left field idea that's like, oh, yeah, if anyone had ever bothered to ask the question. Right. It's the it's an obvious logical answer, but no one actually asked the question. So it feels like a complete surprise. Yeah. Let, let's say that um, we now know who his father is and why he has his powers. Also, why he really enjoys skiing. Also. <laughs> Sure, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I like the fact that 
since he is back, they have a very obvious solution to the problem that they are in. Yes. And his, he just takes care of it. I love it. He's also got a great line to Zebra Man while he's he's helping untangle things. Yes. Zebra's like, no, we're going to die. He's like, I died before. It's not that big a deal. You can get over it. <laughs> and then the other thing, it like, so basically what it does is he takes Zebra Man and drags Zebra Man and the force field and the person that's going to explode way off the island, right? Out in the middle yeah. of the ocean, right? And so the bomb goes off to that, and he, then he runs back with Zebra Man, and he's like, all right, so fill me in. The exploding woman, should I leave her in the middle of the ocean, or? And they're like, no! He's like, right, all right. And then he's back with her. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yes, like, there's a little bit of, not nearly as manic, but like the, the bravado of a Bart Allen type. Yes. Like, I think that may be my favorite flavor of Speedster, the... A little bit cocky, but confident. Okay, yeah, I got this. Cool. Let me let me ask this question and then go deal with the thing, and I'll work with just enough information to do what I need to do. Type, as opposed to eternally hand wringing Bartholomew. And then we come to the part of the issue that has Brian's quote of the week. Brian's quote of the week. Quote quote. So so after this, uh, Harley pulls out a gun and says something about you know. Well, now I guess the only thing left is. We get to decide who gets to kill Black Mask, and uh, um, and <laughs> to which the response is, "That's not going to happen, Quinn. We should coordinate it so we can all kill him in sync." <laughs> and then it keeps going. So then, uh, uh, Green Arrow shows up to tell them to stop, essentially, right? Yeah, that they need to drop their guns and and not kill him. To which Harley just purely, like, without even a thought, just points and goes, "Blam!" and shoots him through the leg. Green Arrow's like, hey! She's like, what? So put the gun down. She's like, I did. I dropped the gun. <laughs> you shot him in the leg. He's got another one. To which Asita then goes, bang! And shoots him in the other leg. <laughs> he doesn't need his leg to talk. <laughs> it's just brilliant. So there is also a moment in this book where Wink is teasing Batman about uh just being mad because of their having stolen his car. Yes. At which point Superman goes, I'm sorry, they stole the Batmobile. <laughs> and it reminded me so much of this one TikTok account that both Jin and Meg have frequently linked me to that is an absolute delight by uh, someone with the username Panda Red with two Ds uh -huh. in red, uh, where he basically stages these conversations between pairs of superhero characters uh for instance batman and superman giving each other grief about being bad dads or nightwing and the red hood arguing about uh their past traumas and which one is actually the more pathetic sidekick um this is an absolute source of delight every time one of the two of them sends me one and i would love to see this person also write some kind of dc comic just putting that in the universe yes uh but that moment made me think of this dude and uh yes if you are on tiktok or just have friends who are on tiktok and we keep sending you links as is the case for me i recommend him excellent excellent i am one of the cool teens too i say <laughs> in, in my 30s <laughs> which which absolutely just completely invalidated you from being a cool teen yes <laughs> yes i Look, it's 2020. 
time doesn't matter, but time still matters a little bit. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love, so they essentially all end up in this kind of politically protected in the country of Badnesia, right? Yep. Um, And they're, like, celebrating and having this, this fun after party and everything, and um, Harley kind of walks off a little bit, and, you know they're like oh well you could stay and she's like no i've got something else i gotta do i can't i can't stay here yeah and turns out of course what she had to do was go talk to zo uh uh deadshot's daughter i love this scene with zoe so much i do too especially so i guess you've got to be going now no, I'm a psychologist, and you seem like you need someone who you could talk to. Yeah, which, <laughs> come on, I can tell you some heavily censored stories of your dad. No, you don't have to leave anything out. No, really, really, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then we see the revolutionaries still doing their thing. Yeah, and, uh, like, did you also get the impression at the end of this, because there's a very clear title that's, you know, The Revolutionaries, that this might be what comes next? 100%. I was, yeah. in fact, going to ask you the same thing. Did you, yeah. yeah. Did you get the vibe that the last page of this is kind of a to-be-continued-in? Yes. Uh, th the point being that they are no longer the Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, like, the line is, the Suicide Squad is dead, long live the revolutionaries. Correct. Yeah, and and that's that's I think that's the thing is they're not the Suicide Squad anymore. They're not working yeah. to you know these people were or at least most of this group were not in jail. They're not you know they don't have bombs in their heads. That whole thing of the Suicide Squad. They're just who they are. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think this is next. I hope that this is next because I will miss these characters entirely too much. Yeah. If they don't return. And, you know, I would imagine, like, all things comics, at some point, five or six years from now, someone will get the idea of resurrecting the Suicide Squad in some fashion, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, or in, like, two months from now, when we get Future State Suicide Squad. Well, that's a, that's very clearly a super different thing, though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think any of that Future State stuff is going to just exist in a vacuum. We'll see. We'll see. The other history of the DC Universe, number one. This was really interesting. I'll be honest, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect from this book. So I want to start with expectations on this book, because I think the way that it was described does, does the book a disservice. Uh, by which I mean, it was talked about as being prose with illustrations. And while that's technically true, yep. I think the finished book is way more considered than just, hey, John Ridley wrote a short story and we drew pictures to go with it. Yeah, it is not that. Um, it feels like it was made as a comic that uses narration instead of dialogue. Uh, that is exactly correct, yes. Um, the art and the layouts remind me a little bit of sort of like a, a, we've had several of them over the last few years, but like a series that is trying to give a history, like the history of the Marvel Universe or X-Men, uh, Grand Design, something like that. Yep. Um, probably more history of the Marvel Universe than X-Men Grand Design, because this is telling a 
23 year period in Jefferson Pierce's life. Yes. So, so I, I will tell you, this is a, from a reading standpoint, this is a meaty book. Yes, it is a long read. It is the dialogue or the, the, the prose is not dense. It's a, I think a very no. easy read, but there is yes. a lot of content here. Yeah. For, for, for a comic book, there's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, they're real, real good words. Yes. I, I would call this pretty much a must read. Like, I think if you like comics, you should read this book. I agree with you. And I absolutely love this perspective that yeah, you, you, you just don't tend to see in comics. Yeah, I mean, and that's the point, right? Like, it's right, called the yeah. hu- the other history of the DC universe. It is intentionally telling the stories of characters from marginalized groups. The, the first issue is about Jefferson Pierce, and it is about being a black man in the 1970s and 80s and early 90s in America, and also with a bunch of literal white saviors floating around. Yeah, literal, yeah. Um, and what that does to him in terms of his self-perception and the standards he holds himself to, what seeing Jon Stewart, who is always described as a reserve Justice League member or the backup Green Lantern, always, always coded in language as being less than Hal Jordan, what seeing him operate in those terms does to his view of himself as someone with powers and how how he wants to operate in in especially in like reagan erica reagan era morning in america yes uh uh uh, times yes okay was i the only one who who saw in the uh in the the button with the blood on it the um Oh no, that is one hundred percent the Watchman splatter. Yeah. Okay, just yeah. Yeah, no, I flipped to that page and like had a good laugh because there is a Reagan campaign pin with Watchman bean juice on it. Yeah. So I um and like he talks about how he was disillusioned with the Justice League, right? Yeah. Um, you know, th- I mean, they're... even even going back to just the appearance of Superman, yeah, like. Not the Justice League even as a whole, but individually. Um, the the first page with Superman, the text is, he shined. He literally shined. Yeah. I didn't know all of his powers. None of, none of us knew everything he could do. But I think the same intense density that made him bulletproof pre- prevented his skin from absorbing light. So it reflected it just a bit just enough to give him an an unearthly heavenly glow like superman is so white that he, he literally shines yes. yeah yep um and i think i mean we are two white dudes oh yeah there are experiences here that we can only understand from the outside mm-hmm. but i think this book does a really canny job of breaking those experiences down and making them understandable i i, I want to say even, accessible but not even understandable. Uh, not understanding und- like knowing but like understanding like like knowledge understanding not like oh. feeling and actually knowing if that makes sense undeniable is the word i was going to go for yeah okay like it is not simply this is a point of view it is in the same way that DC characters 
tend to be these sort of archetypical like truths put on paper this is taking jefferson pierce taking black lightning and saying no this is this other history of the dc universe right this is a way a lot of people feel you cannot refute that yeah this is the experience of a lot of people you cannot refute that yeah the other thing that i think it does a real good job of presenting is that for him different than a lot of other superheroes that we see there's a cost to him being a superhero yes and we don't often get that especially not in the dc side of things right marvel marvel always did a, a little bit better job of portraying that kind of thing but but specifically for you know there's a cost to him being black lightning yes and you know the other thing is which was i I mean i just know from history was a very real thing that it wasn't always you know wasn't always him that paid that cost right right and i know that's true in like real history though yeah and while both of the things we just said about the cost and about this being an undeniable experience while both of those things are true The other thing this book does, I think, really well is to say, but other people who fit in this same place in history, in social structure, like, again, going to Jon Stewart. One of the things that I think really makes this work is saying, I always assumed that this was Jon Stewart's experience because it was mine. Yep. But he has a whole experience of his own that is equally valid and equally marginalized, but that I myself don't have the context and i do think that is a that that is very much a a, and i can say you know there was certainly a time in my life when i would have thought this way that it's very very easy to see marginalized groups and group them as one thing yes and this does a good job of showing that no, just because you are a member of a marginalized group doesn't mean that you are not also an individual that has 100% your own experiences that are different than all the other people that are in your marginalized group. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's one of the benefits about approaching social issues from an intersectional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because if you are... And I think that's where this series is going. We know that there's a Katana issue. Yeah. We know that there are... These are not all black characters or black male characters. Looking at, looking across multiple groups, uh, whether they're racial groups or trans folks, non-binary folks, whatever, whatever the the the, the reason, label is, right? Right. Um, one, you know, it's a coalition building function. It's easier to to stand up for yourselves if you are working together as a group. Yeah to gain recognition and everything else yes but two if you are consciously being intersectional i think it does make it easier to say you know what everyone in the room has a distinct experience while also belonging in one way or another to the same group and i think that's yeah it doesn't invalidate you that yeah you are a member of this group and you do have a commonality it just means that that's not all you are right i think that's that's one of the things that I like so much about this is without mm-hmm. without doing anything more from addressing issues from Jefferson Pierce's one specific point of view. It says implicitly or explicitly, I think, all of these things. Yes. Yeah. I 
thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought, like, just from a standpoint of trying to understand people better, mm -hmm. I think it's a great read. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I very much look forward to all of these at this point. Same. And I strongly recommend picking this up if you haven't yet. Yes. Over at Marvel, Power Pack number one. <sighs> okay. I absolutely loved this. Um, <laughs> so the first two, three, the first like three to four pages of this are literally like either crayon or colored pencil drawings. Excellent. Love it. Uh, that are Katie's book that she has drawn and written. Perfect. That is the origin of Power Pack, essentially. Um. And, and, you know, it's it's everything from, uh, you know, her having to try a couple of times to get antimatter engine spelled correctly because uh, <laughs> they're just crossed out, you know, um, and, you know, to the descriptions of the four kids, you know, Katie, best, Jack, courageous, <laughs> Julie, shy, but real smart, Alex, oldest, thinks he's the boss. <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> uh, so, and. We find out that she is showing this to her siblings. Katie is showing this to her siblings because she wants to give this book to her parents for their aunt, for their twenty fifth anniversary. Oh, which will also then tell show them tell you know reveal to them that they have superpowers, which is something that's still going on that their parents don't know. Ah, yes. Um, and the other kids are like. Uh, no, I I don't I don't think we can give this to them <laughs> as their anniversary gift, right? And okay, so uh, to be fair, first of all, the responses are um, yeah, so I I love it. It's real real good, but um, like, can can we change um thinks he's the boss to knows through both instinct and experience that he's a natural leader. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they all want to tweak and change things about themselves in it, which I love. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, that's beautiful. And then they have the conversation. No, we can't do this. Um, and then we have the. This is a question that I brought to you earlier. We have a a question where um, uh, Jack says something to to about out that um. Let's see where's it at? Uh, ooh, my name is Alex, and I've noticed my brother is gonna be way bigger than me, even though aliens artificially aged my body. So we find out we brought up this point that Alex was in space at one point, and but I don't know if it's just because of you know hyperspace travel or what it was, but somehow his body was aged, and you kind of did a quick look up before the show. Yeah the the main thing I could find, yeah. um, and this would just be true of Alex. Yeah. Is that after Secret Wars, he spent five years traveling the multiverse with the Fantastic Four rebuilding it. So uh, the the piece I found talked about at one point in Future Foundation, he was mentioned as being 19. That would put him now at 24 in continuity. Uh, but that wasn't really done by aliens so much as just done by wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I do know in the back of my head that, like, they do have a history with alien... One of Marvel's three horse-themed alien races. Yeah, which is who got, how they got their powers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, 
but that's literally all I know. I have very little familiarity with Power Pack. Okay. And none outside of Future Foundation. All, all of this all of this which I brought up to Alex for the simple point of if you're if your kid went from age nineteen to age twenty four, wouldn't you know that? Because like their parents don't know that he was ever in space and like this whole thing. Like, huh? Well, here's the thing, like if they don't know he was and okay, like grain of salt here. Yeah. We recognize this book was probably, this issue was probably already in the can back in March. Yeah. And I say that because there is a scene in Fantastic Four last month, last week, uh, in which, I guess both those statements are true, because this is the first week of December. Anyway, uh, when this episode comes out. When there's a scene in Fantastic Four, when his parents go to read and they're like, hey, so, uh... My kids been in space. My kids have been in space for a while. Can you use your new gate to get them back? So, in Fantastic Four, they explicitly know that okay. Alex and Katie are in space. So, and that well, that that can lead to something that I'm going to get to in a minute. So, I do love. Then, then we get this whole. Well, if I can't give them this, what am I going to give them for their anniversary? <laughs> oh, but to answer, to, sorry, to answer oh. your other question, yeah. um. Given that my father once told someone at work that I graduated high school in 1993, no, no, <laughs> he would not notice if I aged five years. Okay, fine. Maybe so. But, so, she's like, well, what am I going to give up? And to which Julie's like, okay, well, you know what, you can just get on in on my gift with them. So, I looked up the traditional 25th anniversary gift, and it's silver. Wait, wait, wait. You got silver buying money, Julie? Heck no, I don't, but I got the next best thing. Chocolate foil wrappers are silvery so that absolutely works <laughs> <laughs> i approve <laughs> so just the 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 idea beautiful so they're, they're having dinner with their parents um so yeah they're all back in the same roof which they're all happy about um you know for this uh for this anniversary and they comes over they get, they get an interruption of the jazz for middle-class dinner parties <laughs> on the radio <laughs> <laughs> for a breaking news that um <laughs> that uh oh god what's his name hang on uh because i absolutely love it uh the boogeyman who is their dad's old ex-boss right who got changed into an actual literal demon and so <laughs> the kids have to decide they have to go fight him because he's one of their villains and nobody else is doing it. And he, he's literally at an orphanage trying to attack it so he can eat the kids. Of course, like you do. Yeah. and so, They're just so cute, I could eat them all up. So they send, they send Julie out to make an excuse with their parents, um, to, to, to which, you know, she has a conversation with them. And she's like, uh, you know, basically, uh, yeah, we're going to take them for a walk, the younger kids for a walk, so uh, we're good. And the dad's like, oh, yeah, I'll come too. No, it's your anniversary. You, just let me and Alex handle this. You got this. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you guys, I've, we've got the kids for the night. You guys have fun. It's your anniversary, you know, whatever. And they're like, well, thanks. Yeah, what would we do without you? <laughs> to which her, her response is just, oh, that's easy. Without me, you would only have three kids, which would have in turn saved you an estimated $245,340 that cost to raise a single child to adulthood. <laughs> But I'm definitely worth it, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I just, her attitude is just absolutely the best. 
Fantastic. Uh, yeah, then we get them fighting, and it's it's awesome and wonderful. Um, because apparently they have been uh, out of touch with a few other things that are going on. Because uh, they uh, they beat up the boogeyman. Well, they start to, and then all of a sudden these other things show up and drop him. And then these bright lights come on, and we find out that Cradle is on the scene, and now they're now under arrest because Kamala's Law just went into effect. As happens. <sighs> to which we get that, which is the end of this issue, and we get the title of the next one. Which So they get arrested and are going to jail, and the title of the next issue is called Orange is the New Pack. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, This is just a whole lot of super fun energy. I love this book. Awesome. So good. Uh, Yeah, so I also want to point out that. So Ryan North wrote this, and Nico Leone is the artist, and the art is just wonderful for this. Awesome. I love how it fits. Yeah, super fun. All right. You know what time it is, Brian? Um... I was going to say, is it 10 o'clock and time for uh, the Ten of Swords? It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your X-Men are? Uh, I do now know where they are. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, it is. Time for our last Ten of Swords roundup. Oof. Starting with X-Men number 15. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. Um... All right, I I am I am upset about something, Brian. What are you upset about? This issue, and maybe this event as a whole, has made me maybe kind of, sorta, just possibly appreciate and maybe like Scott Summers. I knew you were gonna go that go go with that. Like he is a better person in this in these X books than he has ever been. I think. I think that's very true, and I think I think this issue is. As clear a an explanation to why as exists. I, I think it, I think you're right, and I think it does two things. And I know basically it tells us what his motivations are. Right? Yes, and because we know of that motivation, it fits with what we have observed, which makes him the best Scott Summers. Which is simultaneously a what he mostly cares about is his family, right? Yeah, and b the fact that he doesn't have to make choices about, you know, who he wants to be with, because it's just make more mutants. <laughs> yeah. I, he's got, I think there is a line, um, if I can find it. So, this is yeah. the start of the clash between Genesis and Apocalypse, which we yes. knew was coming. But a, a big part of this is also back on Krakoa, Cyclops and Marvel, uh, Jean Grey, uh, basically going to the Quiet Council saying, we know they're in trouble, and we're going to get our son and the rest of our friends. And the Quiet Council showing themselves to be what they absolutely have to be, which is a political body. Yeah. Uh, Xavier has the line, I'm sorry, but I don't have the luxury of thinking of just one mutant anymore, Scott. Right. Or even a few, no matter how much they mean to me. Yeah. Uh, and the council wants to bar them from going. Then they try to do that by saying, okay, if you go, you will surrender your seats on the council. Yeah, you can't, be, you can't do this and remain on the council, right? Um, 
Yeah. Which leads like half the council to be like, no, we're going with you. Yeah. Yeah. And like Scott having to talk them out for different reasons. I, I do love a couple of things that are get revealed in this though. Right. Like Nightcrawler's yeah. like, you know, wants volunteers to go and Jean's like, no, you're the heart of this count. You, we, you, we can't afford to not have you on the council. Right. Yeah. Of course, Kitty volunteers. Kate, we're traveling through a gate. Ah, oh, fuck. fuck. Yeah. But yeah, but it's the response of Emma to telepathically to Scott that says, you really shouldn't lie to Catherine, love. Lying doesn't suit you. Yeah. Meaning that I think they all know now that she can travel through gates. She just has to phase through them. Yeah. Right? That's how I But I, I find it too. interesting they haven't revealed that to her. That is, yeah. I mean, that is a little strange. And then... This is, again, the best Emma ever, because then her next, out loud, her next response is, do you want me to come? Like, she's willing to do it if they if they ask her. Yeah. And, like, she and Scott yeah. have this whole conversation that's half in thought and half out loud. Yes. So he's like, no, you, you also need to be here, right? But basically, thank you for asking, right? Yeah. And then she's like, okay, I'll have the girls meet you, because she knows that it's Cable and that they're going to be pissed if they're not part of going to get cable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they're like, okay. So, and then the other thing is, and I, I it, 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 Shaw is the right person to do this probably, but Shaw also brings up, yeah, by the way, I think it's also necessary. We have to close the gates. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and like, this is okay. After that vote is where the line I was looking for comes in. It is. Uh, Scott says, I understand, sir. Yep. Just like I'm sure you understand this vote doesn't change what I have to do. Yep. I know the difference between right and wrong, and I know the, that necessary evil has nothing to do with it. I know these things because how it was raised. And Xavier says, yes, it is. Magneto asks, what are you going to do, son? Scott, I know that risking everything we've built for a few lives doesn't work for all of you. I understand you don't have the luxury of thinking that way. I really do. But hearing you say it out loud, tasting it in my mouth, I find it unacceptable. So I do not accept it. You formed the Quiet Council to be the government of Krakoa. Well, the X-Men are its heroes. And we will save those who need saving, whatever the cost. And then they leave and there's this like great just wide shot of Xavier smiling and Magneto saying, good boy. Yes. Like, they are both so ridiculously proud of him yeah like yeah and, and then we get a we get one of the you know one of the text pages that show up in these that talk about um and i can't i don't think it's right after this one i, I think it's somewhere else in the book oh there no it is it, yeah just a, it's a pair of text about pages. regarding the x-men and basically yep. how with krakoa and the founding of it they don't want to use the name x-men anymore because there's too much history and too much connotation about it and all this other stuff right yeah um so they have you know the only kind of designated team name that there is is x-force and x-factor and x-factor yeah now, right and they have very specific connotations right right um x-force is the essentially the military enforcement arm of the Kokoan government, right? As defined by force protocols. Right. And the and, and X Factor is the investigative group for missing mutants. 
Yes. Right? That being said, Scott kind of ignores all of that when he says, well, the X-Men are its heroes. Like, we are not an official group, right? And in some ways, we kind of never have been defined officially. But we're the people who are going to do what's right when doing what's right is needed. Yeah. And I think that's what makes me like him so much here. Yeah. And I think you're you're right when you say in the whole House of X, Powers of Ten, Dawn of X world, Scott kind of has more room to shine. Yes. I think it's because there is, like, good is an internal governing body and evil is external threats, but there's not a place for, like, morality. Right. And having him be the, okay, yes, I get the greater good and I get the evil threat, but there is still a good that lives in the middle. That is, I think because he's always been, like, the group leader and has to be, you know, the Leonardo of the group. He's never really gotten a lot of room to play in outside of maybe that Rosenberg run last year, um, where he really just kind of gets to be good for the sake of good. And I think that's where he shines. And I think you're right that, like, tying that into family, both in terms Mm -hmm. of his kids and his connections to other mutants. Yes. I think that's, that's the place where he can be at his best. Yeah. And then we get the resolution of the fight between Genesis and Apocalypse. Yes. And um, let's just say Krakoa wins. Sort of. I mean, yeah. Um, the point being, though, that the, um, what do they call it? That's not the Legion. It's not the Horde. What do they call the the helmet? Annihilation? Yeah, Annihilation, yes. That whoever defeats Annihilation becomes Annihilation? Yeah. Right? Whoever defeats a host becomes the new host, right? Yeah. Yeah, so essentially, um, he defeats Genesis, not Annihilation. Right? Oh, you have moved on to Excalibur by now. Uh, well, no, this is the end of X-Men. Okay. This is the very end of it. Where... So because he's defeated the host, Annihilation tells Apocalypse, or, 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 you know, basically doesn't acknowledge the defeat because Annihilation wasn't defeated. And then proceeds to basically say, I I don't recognize this contest in any manner anyway. And that's the end. That is the last page. Okay. Yeah. Which leads us to Excalibur. Yes. Which is essentially just that. It is Annihilation not recognizing anything about this contest and basically saying, yeah, uh, so we're just going to conquer and burn everything like we did uh, the world of, what is it, Drydor? Yes. Yeah. The land of Drydor. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other Um, lands. So I think we said last time that, oh, well, that was Storm's death card. Right. Her beating death. I think this is really what that card meant, the storm standing against the army. Maybe. Just because the art in this looks so much like that moment. Just her surrounded by the army, calling down lightning. Yeah. Um, but we also we also get the reveal of what Saturnine's plan has been this whole time. Yes. After after some debate about which side Bay of the Blood Moon will fight for and all of that. Mm-hmm. 
we see we see as you are wont to do when two huge armies or one huge army and nine x-men are fighting for control of your realm you do a puzzle <laughs> okay saturnine pulls out a puzzle that puzzle being the uh broken shards of betsy ross yep not betsy ross Be- betty braddock yes betsy braddock yes uh, not not red hulk not nope. red she hulk nope nope no nope. um yeah so basically annihilation summons the entire army of amen yes and is going to lay waste to all of this um to which uh the white blade basically says no i signed up for this contest this is not what i agreed to be part of yeah and peace out he goes um bay of the Bullaboon runs to doug and kidnaps him. Yep. Uh, I, 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 ostensibly, I got 100% to protect him, right? Yeah. And try to remove them from this, yes. Um, yeah, and then, uh, wow, uh, Shogo gets a little, I'm trying to think of how to, Shogo gets mad at, at Saturnine as she's still doing her puzzle while all of this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the first of our reinforcements. Or the side of Krakoa. Yes. Uh, Brian, is this who is this who you thought was the tenth sword? It's book? not. So I was. Turns out I was completely wrong. The person that I thought was this was going to be didn't even show up. And this person was definitely on some cover that I saw, or some group shot that I saw that made me think it was one hundred percent. So. I will tell you at this point. Well, I'll tell you in half a second. I was gonna say, let's there. let's let's talk about what's up now. Yeah. Um, because I tell you what, when I saw this moment, Brian, I thought, oh, this must be who Brian thought I would be delighted to see come in leading reinforcements. No, because Jubilee, and she's leading the Green Priestesses. Yes. Yes. Uh, and they are able to, at least temporarily halt. They're, so they're able to kind of buy them a little bit of time. Right, but they to are go still shave, not save Shogo. And, yeah. yeah, they are still not in a place where they can defeat what has come for them. Right. Um. So That's Doug talks. Doug... Yep. Doug talks to Bay of the Blood Moon, and she agrees that she will take them back to that. She will take him back to the Krakoan and help fight for them. Um. And then we see what comes of. Saturnine's puzzle work. Yes. It turns out she had hoped to use the shards of Betsy Mm -hmm. to perform a spell to do two things. Her her main goal was to make Brian her champion again. Yep. And ostensibly her lover. Yes. Um, in that she fails because when she completes her puzzle. It is still Betsy. Yes. But in the second thing, she succeeds. She has revived the Captain Britain Corps. Correct. Um, yeah, her... So, and, and there's, a, there's a, a love spell that it talks about on a text page here that yeah. talks about, you know, what is needed to cast this spell, right? And essentially that it can bring, it can bring your truest desire to being. Yes. Uh, so in a love spell that, like, it's not just, like, a love spell to capture and make someone love you, but, like, a love spell to give you your greatest desire is essentially what this is. Right. And 
it requires essentially a, a shattered heart of great desire, which was the pieces of Betsy. That's why she was shattered. Yes. And Saturnine believed that her greatest desire was to have Brian back as Captain Britain and to have the Captain Britain Corps back as it was. But it also talks about how you have to be careful. Uh-huh. <laughs> that um, the spell often goes awry because... Um, well, let me put it like this. You can't always get what you want. Yeah. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. So the Pete that when she rebuilds this, it's Betsy as Captain Britain that she sees again. And mm -hmm. so therefore the entire Captain Britain core that is reformed are all versions of Betsy, including frogs and swans and dragons and yep. gorillas. Yes. And male versions of Betsy and uh -huh. yeah. Like oh, there's all a the different versions, all the different things that existed that were, you know, odd other world versions of Brian are now odd other world versions of Betsy. I'm gonna say that again, Velociraptor. Yeah, yeah. There's that one. There's a lot of these. Yes. And did I mention the Velociraptor? <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, and that is the end of uh, Excalibur. Well, I've I've already actually flipped over to Ten of Swords. Yeah, you kind of have. Um, yeah. because the Captain Britain Corps arrives yes. as an army to help defend Otherworld. Because, like I said, they're not just attack they're they're attacking Otherworld at this point. And so yes. uh this is this is stage two of the reinforcements. Yes. And they do a lot to help. Unfortunately, Annihilation has their own reinforcements, as they have Summoner call in all kinds of eldritch horrors. To be clear, it is not Summoner. It is the other Summoners. Yeah, to our knowledge, Summoner, who is the grandchild of Apocalypse, is still dead. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so there... is, but 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 remember what because yeah. we we learned about this a while ago. He was a Summoner. He was probably yes. the most powerful Summoner. Well, and that's what threw yeah. me is there is a right. shot with we see the like different sigils for the different yeah. classes of summoners. Yeah. And one of them has the one with the like three lines yes, underneath. Like, correct. Yeah. So these other summoners and they summon these absolute horrors from Amen. Yes. Yes. To which magic responds, okay, that's not good. Yes. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> uh, Scott and Jean are able to break through to magic to, to which he asks her, you know, uh, so how are things going? And she's like, yeah, not good. And we see them, so it's uh, it's Scott and Jean and the Cuckoos Yep, on the bridge of the sword ship. The Tenth Sword. The Tenth Sword. Now, now knowing that this is the Tenth Sword, Alec, who do you think I might have thought was going to wield this that you would have been happy to see? Who would wield the spaceship that is sword? Abigail Brand? No, but you're get you're super close. It's somebody who is tied to sword that way. It's Brew. Oh, I see how you got there. Would that not have made you happy? I I mean, yes, more Brew would always make me happy. <laughs> yeah, so, it would have felt a little out of the blue, but okay. And I think that was kind of the I I, I yeah. thought that was going to be the intent of it. So yeah. Um, but no, they ask Magic if she can open a portal for them. And she does. And good God, is it a big one? Because it shows up over the Starlight Citadel 
and the entire top half of the sword spaceship points down through this limbo portal. Yeah, like just dwarfing the citadel. And then coming out of it... Hanging over them like a sword of Damocles. We see... And now, there, there's one interesting person that I'm going to point out in this. Would that, that be Gwynpool? It would be. She's, she's not a mutant, is she? So, there was that five-issue Gwynpool miniseries that I will admit that I did not finish after it came back from hiatus. I was just... I never got caught up on it. Yeah. Um... But I do know there was an issue of it where she tried to prove that she was a mutant so that she could be popular right. because mutants are popular right now. Yes, I, I just, yeah, okay. Um, but essentially, Jean has brought an army of X-Men. Although yeah. the, peop the members of the Quiet Council couldn't come, turns out she had no shortage of other volunteers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe not anyone and everyone you could name but it's it's a lot like, richter is there dokken is there rachel domino gambit rogue armor uh, glob herman iceman polaris. polaris well how weird that we got to the same one at the same time yeah but like uh, so yeah i mean yeah bishop beast uh uh kid Wolf, omega wolfsbane Wild Child, who... Dupe, which now I need a Gwynpool dupe team up for. <laughs> uh, so, a lot. Yeah. And this is this is stage three of our reinforcement. Yes. So now fighting for the Krakoans, we have, you know, the original folks that were there. We have the Green Priestesses in Jubilee. We have the Captain Britain Corps. And now we have all of the mutants from... Or, you know, not all, but most of the warrior mutants from Krakoa. Yeah. We have... An army of X-Men. Yes. And amidst all this, Apocalypse is still battling Annihilation. Yep. And Annihilation calls to summon all of the monsters. Correct. And um, all of this being here is still not enough to stop Amit and the no. army. But good news is Kid Cable is still hanging out with Saturnine. Yeah, because he got injured, right? Yeah. And, she asks him, um, what she card were you, card dumb boy? Yeah, but fool. he says, the fool. Yes, a fool with a sword. And only a fool would think that would think that is what he is actually holding. Right. Oh, God, I'm an idiot. Mom, Dad, beat me up. Yeah, because essentially he realizes he's not holding a sword, he's holding a key that's a power source. Yeah. So he goes back up to the sword ship, powers it up again. I they... think now is a good place to answer a question that we asked early on, I think in the last... We did. The first Cable book. Yep. Are are the beings terrorizing the sword station, in fact, the the warriors of Amenth? And the answer is no. No, no they are not. They are not. Um, Because they unleashed this horde on the armies of the Amenth, and they wreck them. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. God, they wreck them. This is not the last we're going to see of these folks, unfortunately, but they just... Wow. And you know what they remind me of now that we actually see them sort of in the light? What's that? They remind me a lot of the Infury. Yeah? I don't know that that's what they are or that they're related to, but they do have really strong Infury vibes. So, um, yeah, and amidst this apocalypse and, and Annihilation are still fighting, Annihilation is back on 
Genesis's head, right? Yeah. And Apocalypse rips the mask off of Genesis. Yeah. Genesis or uh, uh, Annihilation says, "This is folly, mutant. You cannot save yourself." And as he does, I. Yeah. This is where we get to the the weird part. Yeah. Where Apocalypse makes me cry <laughs> because he then says the folly is believing that that is what I am trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Apocalypse was never about saving himself. Like, this whole time, Annihilation's thing has been, and Genesis's thing, like, the reason Genesis sent Apo- left Apocalypse behind Correct. was because he was not strong enough to fight. Yes. The fight he chooses to have is being willing to surrender. And I I don't know, I, I, I wonder if part of Saturnine's plan in the contest and the way that they were set up was to teach him that it's not necessarily about fighting and winning. Yeah. Right? Like, like there's other contests and there's other ways to be victorious. Well, it's even like the, the line you mentioned in a past issue where Apocalypse is talking strategy and how yep. to win and Wolverine's like, no, just shut up and cheer for your girl. Yes. Like somewhere in all of this, Apocalypse has started fighting for family? Well, and for Krakoa. Yeah. And the idea of Krakoa, yeah. And so, but in defeating Genesis, Annihilation forces him to put on the mask and become Annihilation. Yeah. Yeah. Then Iska turns. Yeah. Which, uh, obviously, all of the, 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 the Amenth folk know what that means. Yeah. I love just a layout thing in Pepe Larraz's art here. We we see the apocalypse putting on annihilation, and then we have a panel that is Iska with her back to the panel, mm-hmm. saying, "What's that? It almost feels like." And then two of the horsemen, "What is this? Oh my God, Iska the unbeaten!" And then we she hasn't actually physically turned in space, but the camera has moved around her. Yes. So we get her from the front this time, backlit with she's turned. Mm-hmm. I like the layout there, like the actually too. literally showing her turned around on the uh, page. I do too. And by the way, that's uh, who's the fire dude? Uh, uh, he was part of the Marauders. He was a Hellion way back when. Pyro. Pyro. Yes. That's I, that's got to be Pyro that she's just killed, right? Um, I can't see his face to see if it's got a big black skull tattoo, but I think you're probably right. Yeah, with the tanks on the back. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, there, there's a page in between there where we see all of these aliens that they have unleashed from S.W.O.R.D. attacking not just the armies of Amenth, but Otherworld itself and the Krakoans. Like, they're killing everybody. Yeah. And one of one of the priestesses to Saturnine is like, you have to do something to stop them. She's like, nope, not yet. Um, and uh, what she's waiting for is Apocalypse in order to save. So he can't resist um, Annihilation, right? That's the whole thing of Annihilation, right? Yeah. And he's, he's saying, you can't fight me and defeat me. There's... You're not even as strong as Genesis, and she couldn't overcome me. And then basically, and he's like, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to overcome you. I'm not trying to overcome anything. And he kneels before Saturnine and surrenders. Yes. Right. So Krakoa has defeated Arako by by him defeating uh, Genesis. 
and then Krakoa has surrendered to Otherworld. Yes. So the the outcome ultimately becomes Otherworld wins. Yes. Krakoa survives. Araco, because of its fealty to annihilation, Araco, vassal of Ameth, yields. Yep. Um, and then we find out why Saturnine needed Shogo, because she has Shogo unleashes Dragonfire to burn away all of the creatures released by Sword. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she And was then she for. uses her magic to turn the mask into a more controllable staff. Yes. Which I'm sure we have not seen the last of. I'm certain we have not 100%. And then as as a, as a very traditional thing of uh you know uh terms after a war yeah like you see this with uh you know the ongoing war between new genesis and apocalypse not this one yes <laughs> where saturnine requires an exchange of prisoners essentially yeah and so um Ap- genesis who speaks for Araco, or actually let me be clear about this genesis who speaks for a now yes uh, chooses Apocalypse. So Apocalypse is going to go and be with her and his family. Um, I, I do love, there's a there's a thing where she, basically Genesis asks, can I choose you, my love? Yes, but I have to warn you, I've changed. I'm not the same mutant you left behind long ago. I know. I see what you truly are, two dot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then who speaks for Krakoa? And I love this. Scott's like, well, normally the council would, but this was war, and in war, I guess I lead, and Apocalypse is like, nope, in this, I speak for Krakoa. Yes. Right? And who is the mutant that he chooses to return to Krakoa? The mutant island, Araco. Yes. So Araco is no longer tied to Amen, and no longer provides a bridge to Otherworld, right? Um, But is going to be reunited with Krakoa, which is what Krakoa wanted all along. So I wonder United if they're going to... and it feels so good. I wonder if it's going to change the name back to... And I can't remember the name of it, but... Okara. Okara, yes. Because they're all anagrams. Right, 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 right. But, uh... And then we get a couple of pages that tell the status of all the different swords, right? Yes. Uh, the swords of Arako and the swords of Krakoa. We get a list of the members of the reformed Captain Britain Corps. Yep. Uh, to which, by the way, Captain Britain Prime, Betsy Braddock, our Betsy from Earth 616, is still unaccounted for. She did not come back with the rest of them. Correct. So we will have to see what happens with that. I do love this, by the way. So we get this page that's like, you know, oh, the Captain Britain Corps reformed, unaccounted for, and it lists her, and it says present and accounted for, and it lists like 20 different Captain Britons, yeah. right? From all Section these different one worlds. of. 564,430. Continued so, on the Yeah, page, page one of 564,000 pages of Captain Britain's. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then we get a little bit of recap for where everyone's at, where they've gone to now. Yeah. Um, and how and... Saturnine did not get everything she wanted. Nope. But she, but she did get her Captain Britain for back. And, uh, Basically, you know, there's some there's something to the effect of, um, you know, if if there's anyone who wants to taste the adventure that's, you know, and join us here in Otherworld, 
to brave the different lands, you know, adventure is always here or something to that effect, right? Yeah. And so we're definitely going to see that at some point, too. Yeah. And then, of course, the last line of the issue, long may she reign. Yes. So Marvel has announced that, you know, we had House of X, Powers of Tin, Uh and then we had Dawn of X before Tin of Swords. The next period in in the X office is Reign of X. Aha. And they released a promo image uh with a bunch of different characters who will have like a key role in Reign of X stories. Mm-hmm. Uh the the image was drawn by Mahmoud Azrar and tweeted by Cy Spurrier, who has not been announced on anything yet. What? Um characters included in this image. Wolverine as Patch and Maverick, who are in the Wolverine number eight solicitations. Um, Jim Jaspers, Cypher and Bay the Blood Moon. Nightcrawler holding some sort of, like, tome with an X on it. There's speculation in a couple of places I've seen that it might be uh, Apocalypse's journals. I think maybe it's more like he's he's going to finally found that Krakoan religion, but we'll see. Uh okay, this is okay, yeah, the image that I'm seeing at it does not Oh yeah, okay, I do see it now. I, I was it was a cut-off image that I was looking at first. Hmm. Um where was I? M uh with Warren Worthington Archangel. Yep. Some shadowy figures who are hard to tell. Legion, possibly Proteus. Nimrod, Shadow King, and Arcade. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And Which part of that? The fact that we've got Arcade and Nimrod and Shadow King as part of this. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is this is meant to be one of those sort of classic X Men or Marvel images that like teases things to come. Yes. We also have, uh, and we know this is happening in the next issue of X Men, the team that was sent into the vault reemerging. Yes. And they are in this image as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a list here of the the sort of reading order for the kickoff of Reign of X, which will be Hellions and X Factor uh, this coming week. This week as this episode is out. Uh, the following week will be Marauders <sighs> number 16 and Sword 1. For that one. December 16th, New Mutants 14, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood number 2. Which was a surprise to me on this list. And X-Force number 16. December 23rd, Cable 7, Excalibur 16. And December 30th, X-Men 16. Yeah. Um, which is the mutants re-emerging from the vault. Uh, Excalibur, like, if you go through and you look at the, the solicitation text, that is going to sort of immediately get into the fallout with Betsy. Yeah, and I'm, um, I don't know if... So the one that I didn't see on here was Cable? Uh, Cable's December 23rd. Cable okay. number 7. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So it is coming out. I and don't he'll know, also I, be in Sword. He's one of the... the okay, I don't know if Phil Noto is still going to be doing art on Cable, though. And the reason is because I I know Phil Noto is going to be doing art on an X-Men number 16. Yeah. So well, he, there, yeah. there are some teams shifting around, too. Um, yeah. Like, Vita Ayala is taking over New Mutants, and New Mutants has talked about being in the wilds of Krakoa. I bet that means the new Arakan land. Right. Um, the other thing that's not mentioned here is Children of the Atom. Right. 
And I noticed there wasn't an issue solicited in February, even though number one is in January. So I wonder if maybe that's getting shuffled around again. Maybe. Because uh, I can't imagine they would put out an issue and then take a month off. Right, maybe. right, right. So we'll see. I, I bet some schedule shifts a little bit there. But yeah, so, okay, you've read all of it now. Final thoughts on Ten of Swords. I very, very much enjoyed it. It just, the ending was so different from what I expected. I think that's fair. Like, I think certain beats, certain beats did do what I thought they would, or maybe what, like, optimistically I thought would be the happy ending. Yeah. Like, Apocalypse getting to go back with his family. Yes. Krakoa and Arako being reunited. Uh, like, at least hope for Betsy being okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Those things, I think, I could, I, I easily would have believed that those plots would have been left open. And sure, in certain ways, like, Apocalypse promises, you know, this will not be the last you see of him. Tell, tell Charles, this will not be the last he sees of me, that I will return. We have the, the sort of lingering Annihilation staff, you know. Yeah, we, we have, we have the, the creatures from the Sword Gate. Yes. Yeah. But, like, knowing... Knowing how much of what was teased in Dawn of, not Dawn of X, in, in House of X and Powers of Ten was interstellar and dealing with things like Sinister's cloning experiments, which this arc is clearly seeded. Yeah. Like, it did, it did start the deeper we got into this to feel to me more and more like, okay, this, this maybe does actually wrap up here for now. So we can move on to these other ideas that that yeah. I think are going to be part of a bigger build. Well, and I think honestly, like now looking at the whole the thing as a whole, I clearly think the idea behind this was to put in place other world as it now exists and is tied to things for future story. Yeah. 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 And I think there's a lot of potential in that. And we'll mention some of that in a few minutes again. But yeah. first, is it still good? Colonel Weird, Cosmogog number two. Brian. Um, I, yeah, I mentioned this with, a, with number one, that this just continues following parts of his life. And it's super, super cool how we're seeing different parts of it at the same time happening in his, con like, the we kind of get it presented to us the way he experiences it. And it's super cool. And like, there's loops in part of it. Like, it's just, it's an interesting portrayal of, of this. Cool. I like it. Action Comics, number 1027. Uh, the fight with Red Cloud wraps up. Um, we see Lois interrogated for maybe not being from this earth and watching the FBI agent put together, oh, uh, so maybe. Maybe it was Leon who's not from here. Oops. Uh, and things get pretty close to wrapping up before the last issue of Bendis' run on Superman and action. Batman Superman number 14. Uh, you, you can predict maybe, you know, the, the Superman and Batman versus Superman, Batman, Brainiac robot. But let one thing be clear. 
If you need one superhero to fight off an entire horde of villainous robots by herself in space, it is Batwoman. That's who you want in your corner. All right. Batman Beyond, number 49. Uh, Terry completes his mission to save his brother and Bruce from going uh, uh, rogue and killing his brother. And closes a time loop that apparently has always existed legion of superheroes number 11 everything that can go wrong does murphy's legion huh murphy's legion wonder woman number 767 brian um we get the resolution of the conflict between diana and maxwell lord Mm -hmm. and um let's just say um the return of a certain jim carrey vehicle (laughs) sure uh, turns out maybe Max should have, uh, given a little more, more attention to his family. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel Action Chillers, number two. Riri and Doctor Strange track Iron Man's armor to Central Park and learn about teenage Elsa Bloodstone's fight with Cap Wolf. Chew, number five. Uh, Tony puts his sister in jail for doing crimes. Not thinking about the fact that maybe that's what she's wanted all along. Uh-oh. The Department of Truth, number three. Ooh, this one was brutal. Um, This is about the Department of Truth investigating a woman whose son was killed in a school shooting and who has been fed so much misinformation or disinformation and propaganda about the shooting that she starts to question whether it even happened and maybe he's still alive out there somewhere. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the premise of this book is that, like, believing in conspiracy theories makes reality change. So, like, that's the department's whole role is, like, keeping that from happening. So it's... It is excellent, but it is heavy. Nailbiter Returns, number seven. Everybody gets high in the woods. Uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 53.LR. Sin Eater uh, lays a trap for Morlun as Doctor Strange leads the Spider-Friends through Limbo or wherever to try to find Peter. Daredevil, number 24. Daredevil's... Council, Foggy, his ex, and Mike pretending to be Matt help prepare him for his trial. Deadpool number eight. This one actually came out a couple of weeks ago. I only just now get my hands on a copy. Uh, but it is Deadpool and a bunch of kids and Elsa and uh, Jeff the Shark all armed to the teeth fighting off monsters. Um, and yes, even Jeff has a little knife between his teeth. <laughs> Literally armed to the teeth. I love it. Shang-Chi number three. Uh, Brian, would you care to guess what what, uh, extra layer this sort of martial arts vengeance family story needed? It was vampires. Uh, Of course. Yes. Now with more vampires. Now with more vampires. I mean, it's either that or pirates, right? Porque no los dos? Vampire pirates. <laughs> vampires, if you will. How are there not vampire pirate stories? Uh, good question. There are like 1,800 Pirates of the Caribbean movies. How have they never done vampire? Anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, the autumnal number three. Uh, Cat considers trying to have a normal life in her hometown, and that lasts for an issue. A whole issue. A whole issue. Wow. Wasted space number seventeen. Billy and friends arrive on Earth, where they are hailed as uh, uh, prophesied visitors and the messenger of God, which is, you know, the last thing he wants to be, because he's there to kill him. February 2020 solicitations. Yay. Over at Boom, Brian. Yes. You've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Faith, the one-shot. Yeah, so, um... You know the 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 Buffy stuff. I, I haven't mentioned it a lot recently, uh, mostly because I'm constantly running like a couple of issues behind. But yeah. it's still been really, really good. And the fact that we get we get a story about Faith, uh, you know, I, I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Yeah, Jordy Blair's still doing a great job on that. There's a cover for this by Kevin Wada that is abs- absolutely yes. gorgeous. And by the way, about... it's a foil cover. Just so you know. Tell me about Spectre Inspectors, number one of five. So this is another boom book. Um, it, it's described as uh, people for fans of uh, Blackbird and Vampironica. So it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a campy. It strikes me as like kind of a modern take on like a Scooby-Doo gang. Cool. You go investigate like paranormal mystery type stuff. There's no, there's no dog. So, I mean, it's not exactly that. But, um. You know, it just it, it, one of the characters, Noah, is a true believer, and she kind of drags her her brother and friends along to uh, to investigate hauntings. Sweet, yeah. And the art and... in this, so it's a uh, the art is uh, Bowen McCurdy, who has also helped writing it, and it's just I I just love this this style. It's going to be gorgeous. Cool. Yeah. And then Orcs number one of five. <laughs> Uh, this one is actually described as fan- for fans of the Adventure Zone or Critical Role, which you know both. So yeah, seems like right in my wheelhouse. And yeah, it's it's uh, Christine Larson, and um, it is gonna be big dumb fantasy fun. That's what cool. it's gonna be. Yeah, over at Dark Horse, another Black Hammer title, Black Hammer Visions number one. Oh. Okay, this one sounds really, really cool, folks. So this is going to be uh, eight issues, um, and each one is going to be kind of a different story about a character in the actual world of, like, on the farm, but, like, before the the first Black Hammer story takes place. So kind of like oh, cool. what happened to them in. What's going to be super cool about this, though, is each issue is going to be written, is going to be done by a different creative team. And some of the people they have announced as writers for this are, the first one is Patton Oswalt. Uh, then we have Jeff Johns. I, I don't know if it's this is in order, but these are some of the others. Jeff Johns is going to be doing one. Mariko Tamaki is doing one. Chip Zdarsky is doing one. Yes. Kelly Thompson is doing one. Like, mm, I need it. I need it all. If you ask me, you know, if you could, like, let's say you wanted a black, because I know you love Black Hammer, like, who would you want to do it, right? Like, three or four of these would probably be people I might very well name. <laughs> yeah. 
And so why not have – what was it I said to somebody the other day? It was something about a – uh, it was something about it, there was just like this whole slew of different options for something, right? And I was like, I was like, por qué no los ocho? <laughs> <laughs> Why not hell of them? Yes, yeah. I love it. Uh, over at DC, uh, there is one one new future state title. Uh, if you did not listen to our future state bonus episode. Definitely would recommend you go back and check that out because yeah. again we are super excited for it. the The one edition is a one shot, Future State Superman House of L, uh, and I'm going to use this to mention as well. There was a free like preview of Future State uh, out in comic shops this week. That among a lot of, like, good interviews and quotes, more quotes than interviews, but, like, summaries and quotes and character designs and pages and covers and uh, biographies of some of the newer writers who you might not know who are working on this, there is a timeline that shows where all of the books fall. Because we had speculated, Brian, I think, had mentioned in particular, like... It felt like these were all at different points in time. Yeah. So you can see, like, a lot of the Batman books are set around 2025. Um, Teen Titans is set a little after that, along with The Flash and Dark Detective in 2027. Uh, 2029 is Shazam. 2030 is uh, Aquaman and Justice League Dark and a lot of the Superman books and backups. Uh, along with Suicide Squad and Nubia. 2035 is The Last Lantern. 2040 is Justice League. And then we sort of start getting to the titles that jump further out. Yeah. 2050, Super uh, Superwoman, Kara Zor-El, The Yara Floor Story, Superman vs. Imperious Lex. 2070 is Superman Wonder Woman. 3000 is House of L and Legion of Superheroes. 4500 Swamp Thing. 8,020, or sorry, 82,020 Black Adam, and then at the end of time is the Immortal Wonder Woman, which is a logical place for an immortal character to be. Sure. Uh, this House of L one-shot is set you know, a little further in the future from some of the other Superman books because it is about his descendants. Um, we meet the children of... Jonathan Kent, uh, a pair of twins named Rowan and Ronan. Uh, Rowan is the new Superman of Earth, while Ronan is a Blue Lantern. Uh, this also features Theander Banel, whose mother was Tamaranian, uh, as well as some other characters, characters all read by Superman himself. Very nice. All led by, not read by, yes. all led by Superman himself. Very cool. We get Generations Forged, which is yeah. another entry into the Generations event. Um, we learn kind of who's pulling the strings here. And it sounds to me, reading this, like this might be the last of the Generation stories, or maybe next to last. Possibly, yeah. Yep. Um, Love is a Battlefield. Brian. Uh, this is our... Uh, this is our have valentine's day uh uh anthology um we get a beautiful cover of uh ivy and harley uh by kari andrews mm-hmm. and uh 
yeah, we get uh, the, the the one that's described in here that, I, that I'm going to specifically point out is even Amanda Waller fights the urge to bail on her mystery date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's big, stupid Valentine's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Man Bat is resolicited finally. Yeah, so this is this is something that was supposed to come out way, way, way back in like April or something stupid like yeah. that. Yeah. And it, I've seen some speculation that maybe the reason it did not come back with everything else is it might hit a little close to home on, you know, COVID being in a pandemic. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, because this has always been about a you know a serum or a virus basically kind of thing. Yeah. That, so yeah. Um. And yeah, this is um, it looks to be like the cover looks beautiful. By the way, just mm-hmm. so you know, Kyle Holtz it looks like is doing the cover, um, and it looks it's got like him draped over the bat signal, like cracking it. Yeah, can't yeah. wait. A new anthology series, Truth and Justice. Yeah, this is uh, this is essentially. I think they're calling it anthology because it's going to be a different story every issue about a different character yeah. and everything. The first issue is the the one that we know about is uh, Mary McCabe uh, as Vixen, um, and uh, yeah, she's going to uh, she's she's trying to investigate some powerful magic artifacts and you know. Good, good Vixen story, I hope. Yeah. And then, of course, the Flashpoint 10th Anniversary Omnibus, as 2021 is the 10th anniversary of Flashpoint. Yeah, I just wanted to mention this just because uh, I know Alex has a real special place for uh, for Flashpoint, and it is such a great story. Like, one of the best alternate kind of reality type things that that they came up with uh if you've never read it you absolutely owe it to yourself to do so and yeah. uh here you can get it all in one one big omnibus it was in fact the uh the avenue to my getting into reading comics yeah yeah i will tell you it is not cheap but it there's a lot in it i mean a lot in it yeah uh at image a trio of new books radiant black number one this is written by Kyle Higgins with art by Marcelo Costa. This is described as being for fans of Invincible and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It is about a dude in his 30s who is like struggling to get by and then unlocks cosmic superpowers, but the beings that created them want them back and are out to destroy him. Yeah. Uh, there is also Deep Beyond. This is a 12 issue series. Uh, written by Mirka Andolfo. I just realized there's not a, an artist listed here. Okay, Andrea Brocado, listed in the solicitation text with colorist Barbara Nocenzo. Um, honestly, like, had me at Mirka Andolfo yeah, in sure. terms of putting it on my list to check out. Sure. But it is uh, a future sci-fi story involving consequences of the Millennium Bug, the survival of mankind, and uh, I'm going to say, based on the cover, some kind of eldritch horrors. All right. There's a lot of tentacles on the cover. Oh. Uh, then a book called Stray Dogs, which, <laughs> if I had not stopped and read the solicitation text, I, I might have presumed was some sort of, like, all-ages thing. Did you see this one, Brian? I, I, I did. I did Lady see Lady and the Tramp meets Silence of the Lambs. 
Yeah, well, and specifically, did you see the cover? Well, the cover is actually why I stopped, because I'm like, wait, the the, the B cover, I assume. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely mean the B cover, yes. The B cover is where I realized, huh, that's a strange cover for an all-ages book. Oh, this is not an all-ages no, book. No, no, no. Um, it is described here as a five-issue Don Bluth-style suspense thriller by My Little Pony comic artists Tony Fleeks, whom I love, mm-hmm. and Trish Forstner. Um, there's a, a Bendis quote here. My favorite thing about comics is when someone shows you something you didn't know you needed. The Secret Life of Pets meets seven. Yes, please. Welcome to Stray Dogs. I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is the kind of weird ass shit that I will absolutely read at least a miniseries of. Over at Marvel, X-Men uh, Legends. I, I will also point out there's a, there's a note in the uh, previews, um, that, Paramount Animation has has already picked up the rights to this for animating. Excellent. Amazing. Yes. Uh tell me about X-Men Legends number 1, bro. Um so this is uh a new and we're not certain if it's uh ongoing or not. It's there's no limit listed to it, so I'm just going to assume that it is an ongoing at least for now that um Yeah. I think that's I think that's safe. Yeah. Where basically they're letting past and future and other, so basically different creative teams, take shots at writing mutant stories that take place in past eras of the X-Men. Yeah, like different points in continuity. Right, so it could be, you know, original X-Men, could be Claremont X-Men, could be... um, uh, uh, Joss Whedon, you know, like any astonishing, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea is that then they can tell these kind of either short arc or one shot. I'm assuming short arc or one shot stories that that took place during these timelines. Yeah, we have three new King and Black one shots. Yeah. The first one is written by Danny Lore. They are uh, Vidayala's occasional writing partner. They wrote Queen of Bad Dream. Um, so someone whose stuff I have enjoyed quite a bit. Happy to see them on Captain America. With art by Mirko Kolak. A Marauders tie-in. Written by Jerry Duggan with Luke Ross on art. Um, Kate Pride fighting the forces of Null. Yeah. And then King and Black, Black Panther. Jeffrey Thorne writing, Herman Peralta on art, uh, and basically, like, Wakanda has been thrust into darkness, and Black Panther has to respond. Uh, then we have Marvel's Voices Legacy number one. Yeah, so this is another uh, Marvel's Voices book, and uh, I, the ones that I've read so far have been good, so uh, yeah. yeah, I'll take more. Please. I will take more. I will... I will also say this, Marvel, if you're listening, let's start seeing some like mini series or ongoings coming out of these. And I did see something. I don't think it's directly spinning out of the one, the indigenous voices we just had, but mm-hmm. that there is a book coming out that is based in that same thing. That there is uh, something coming out of that. Cool. Yeah, I just I like these one right. shots, but I want I want to them see to these creators to do more than just like five pages. Yes, agree, agree. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, And then last one over at Valiant. Savage number one. I could not tell you anything about the history of Savage. Uh, All I know is that this is written by Max Bemis. 
and he has been knocking it out of the park. So here I am. Um, here is the solicitation text. Teenage threat. Feral social icon. Dinosaur hunter? Born and raised on an uncharted island full of prehistoric dangers, Kevin Sauvage has a taste of home when a mutant dino threat invades England. Yeah, this is a book that uh, the first version of the I remember came out about probably about two, two and a half years ago while we were recording. Mm -hmm. uh, I just remember seeing it in uh, uh, when it came out. Uh, basically, I think his parents were like super, super famous people who crashed on an island when he was a baby. Yeah, like it has some Tarzan vibes. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. even from reading this. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. Some smooth boy vibes. Smooth boy. There you go. Lord Smoothstroke, yes. Yes. My my ongoing contribution to the lore of this podcast. <laughs> All right. This week's books. We got a bunch of them. Fortunately, there's a lot of overlap between the two of us. Yeah, that's all right. We'll get Batman Catwoman number one, Tom King, Clayman, Three Points in Time, Batman Catwoman. About Batman and Catwoman. Done. Comics introduction of Phantasm. Done. Let's go. Love it. Justice League, Endless Winter number one, kickoff to the nine part uh, event, I guess. Yes. Running through DC throughout December. Yep. Um, there's a checklist, I think, in the back of most of this week's issues. Just know if you're reading this, like, there are some one-shots, and then there are some issues that will be in, like, The Flash and Justice League Dark. So, I'm excited for this. I think this looks cool. No pun intended. But definitely find yourself a checklist if you are getting into this. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Four Road Trip number one. This is, I believe, Christopher Cantwell telling like a it sounds like body horror story about the fantastic four we've had some cool one shots sort of set between moments in dan slots run and i think this is going to be another one of those all right dark knights death metal secret origin one shot brian yeah so uh we got we've got two more one shots coming out we've got a uh, uh... The Secret Origin number one, and we've got The Last 52 War, The Multiverses number one. And, I, you know, we, we've been through, been here, done this. We know these are these are these one shots that are continuing to explain that, you know, for the death metal stuff have definitely been part of, for the most part, have been part of the death metal story. So if you're reading that, you'll definitely want to pick these up. Um, the, the Secret Origin basically has... Uh, the heroes going back through DC's past, trying to figure, or this new past, right? Trying to figure out how they might be able to take down uh, the Darkest Knight while Superboy Prime faces him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the War of the Multiverses is, uh, you know, essentially, um, you know, everybody that you can imagine across everywhere rallying to fight. This is the big, everybody get together, let's do this thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, King and Black, the first issue of the five-issue miniseries, comes out this week. Uh, I've been digging the Venom run that is leading up to this, and I'm super excited for it. Uh, also, The Union, number one, which is a UK-based team. This series is launching as a tie-in to, to Men in Black. King and Black. Um, and I'll be honest, I was kind of on the fence on this one. Until I saw the Captain Britain core restored, and I've, I, I've got to imagine at some point that will factor into a UK-based team. So I am curious to see if there is interplay there. All right. 
And then last one for both of us, Modoc Head Games, oh, number God. one. I mean, it's a Modoc book and it's got Gwenpool in it. I'm already this. Yep. Yeah. Patton Oswalt writes. Yes. I mean, there yep. it is. All right. That's it. That's everything. This is a beefy episode. We'd like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You know where to find and follow us. Uh, bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P, capital M for merch, and bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M to send us questions, comments, whatever. My name is Alex. And I am Brian. Go read those comics. Mm-hmm.